Bible podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joey Bonifacio. We've been talking about health and more specifically mental health. This is Mental Health Month here in Singapore. And we've been looking at does the Bible address this issue uh, known as mental health? And there's actually five Bible characters we've been kind of journeying through discovering uh, their stories together, Elijah, and looking at the realities of the expectations being very high when he has this amazing breakthrough and then the very low lows of being having his life threatened and running for his life and all those things with Hagar uh, and the really abusive situation that she had to journey through and how God could give her hope in the midst of that. Uh, we saw in David how both by his own doing and by his own mistakes and also by the choices of others, he faced various emotional challenges and how God brought him through that journey. And also with Hannah, uh, the really the, the, the struggle that she faced with barrenness and how God brought her out of that thing where she would have been perceived by her community as somehow being cursed or being uh, lesser. Uh, and yet God carried her through that and brought her uh, into emotional health and victory. And now we look at a very interesting Bible character, the Bible character that the Bible is all about, uh, the character of Jesus. And we go, wait, does Jesus actually get challenged in the area of emotions, and he really does. In fact, the Bible teaches us, one of the first things it teaches us is that Jesus fully experienced being human. Uh, in the book of Philippians, it says it this way, who being in the very nature of God, so Jesus is God, in his very nature he's God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be held onto for his own benefit. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Uh, to even further clarify, Hebrews says it this way, for this reason, he had to be made like him, fully human in every way. Now, what benefit is there to us in this idea you're listening to me for the last two minutes going, okay, what does this have to do with my life and why do I care? Well, the fact that Jesus became human helps us out in many different ways. And the first way Hebrews describes how it helps us is this, we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're going through a real tragedy, a real loss, a real pain, and someone well-meaning probably, uh, but maybe not most intelligently, comes up to you and says something along the lines of, I know just how you feel. And what you're thinking inside is, you have no idea how I feel, unless you've really been through the exact situation I've been through or you've been through, you have no idea how I feel, right? Uh, and I was reminded of this last week when Pastor Joey was mentioning Elkanah trying to comfort his wife in her barrenness. And he says this comforting statement, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? You know, sometimes as husbands or spouses, we try to support the other person, but we really kind of miss the mark. We don't really empathize. We don't meet you where you are sometimes. And the cool thing that the Bible teaches us is that Jesus actually understands what you're going through. He can empathize. He can he can co-feel that pain with you and comfort you in the midst of it. Goes on to say this in Hebrews, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, you know, sometimes, honestly, people come to me and they're going through a difficult situation and I would love to help, but I just don't know how. And I'm looking at them going, man, I, I understand what you're going through at some level. Maybe I haven't personally been there myself to the full extent that, that you're seeing it, uh, but I'm not really sure how to help. The Bible tells us Jesus can actually help. He not only empathizes with you in your pain and in your suffering, he's not only experienced it also like you have, becoming fully human, but he's actually able to help. He's able to engage. He's able to support. Now, 
How is he able to help? What's interesting is not just because he's so powerful, he's so great, he's so big. Jesus is able to help because he's actually experienced our pain. In the book of Luke, there's this fascinating journey of his own suffering. He's in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane and he's wrestling with his own call, his own destiny. The reality is he's about to face some difficult things. And it says he's in prayer and he goes about a stone's throw away from his friends and he kneels, kneels down and he prays. And he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here we see Jesus wrestling with something we wrestle with sometimes. I don't know if you've ever felt in your heart, like, man, God's asking me to do something. He's asking me to forgive that person or give this thing up or change this lifestyle habit that I have. And you're like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to face this challenge. I don't want to face this difficulty. I don't want to take this new responsibility. I don't want to have to uh, carry with and be the one to forgive when I feel like the other person should be the one to forgive, but not my will, but yours be done. So he's wrestling with this challenge in his heart. And it goes on to say this, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then these amazing verse, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is actually a medical condition that, that has happened. Generally speaking, the only people we've seen it happen to are people who are on death row when they're awaiting uh, their, their execution. People who know they're facing death and, and actually the tension and the agony and the torment and the stress of the situation actually causes as they're sweating, it, it actually, blood comes with the sweat. And this is something Jesus faced, such an agony, such a stress, such a burden, such a pressure that he's actually sweating blood. Why? Why is God? He's God. He knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. And yet he's feeling the emotional burden at the deepest place in his soul. Well, what is this all about? Well, what is it he's facing? Well, first of all, he's going to have one of his close friends betray him and betray him with a kiss. Uh, this is a sculpture by a guy named Ignatius Iacometti. And uh, I think it captures well this idea. Here's Jesus leaning over to allow Judas to kiss him. Greetings, rabbi. Greetings, friend. Greetings, teacher when actually what he's doing is he's marking him for betrayal. And to be have someone so close to you, so, so friendly to you, guy walked with you for three years and you've served them and you've loved them. They've seen you perform miracles. They've heard your teaching. They know deep down Judas knows he's God. And yet here he is betraying the very son of God. And he has to go through that. He knows it's coming and he's facing that. And right after that, what's gonna happen? When he gets arrested, everyone deserts him. You ever feel like everyone's deserted you? Jesus knows what that feels like to literally have everyone desert you. Now, G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite authors. He wrote this book called Orthodoxy. It was about 1900, a fascinating read. But when he describes God going through this challenge, I find it so encouraging yet challenging. This is what he says about the suffering of Jesus. He says this, Christianity is the only religion on earth that has felt that omnipotence, God's uh fully powerfulness, his all-powerfulness, made God incomplete. Now, if you stop and think about that for a second, sometimes it's great to know God owns the whole world. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. We used to sing when we were kids that he's so powerful, he's so big, he's so amazing. But Christianity alone felt that God, to be holy God, must have been a rebel as well as a king. Now, what's he talking about? That sounds weird to our language. This is what he's talking about. Alone of all the creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the creator. In other words, if God's just up there, all powerful, perfect, looking down on our suffering, but has no connection with what it's like to be weak, 
to be hurting, to be abused, to be mistreated, to be treated unjustly, to feel like you're being oppressed. If he has no uh, empathy or sympathy with that, he feels too far away. And he's saying, that's not the God of Christianity. For the only courage worth calling courage must necessarily mean that a soul passes a breaking point and yet does not break. We know Jesus went through that. That's what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. Goes to the breaking point of, I know I'm called to a cross. I know I'm called to die. I know I'm called to suffer. But God, if it's possible, take this from me. It's too hard. I don't want to have to deal with this. It's too painful. It's too difficult. This relationship's too hard. This work situation's too difficult. Uh, this call you've given me to, to take care of my parents or deal with this issue with my children or go through this burden in, in, in a relationship, it's too hard. Jesus has been there. He's felt that breaking point and yet not broken. And then it goes even further to the most extreme suffering that Jesus actually faced. Here's how Chesterton describes it. When the world shook and the sun was wiped out of heaven, he's referencing uh, the cross. It went dark at midday when Jesus hung on the cross. It was not at the crucifixion. In other words, all that happened, not because just because there was a crucifixion happening, but at the cry from the cross, the cry which confessed that God was forsaken of God. Have you ever felt so alone, so hurt, so broken, and you think God's forsaken me? No one's left. I've not only been forsaken by all my friends, they've run away. I've been betrayed by people who were close to me, but I feel like I've been left alone even by God. Do you realize God himself? It's a paradoxical thing. It's hard for my brain to wrap itself around. But God in Jesus has even felt the abandonment of God. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is scary to even discuss because it's such a serious theological position. But here is Jesus on a cross and sin has so filled him that the whole world's gone dark because God cannot look on sin. So now God cannot look on himself. And in that paradoxical moment, Jesus experiences an abandonment we will never experience anymore because now it says he will never leave us or forsake us. But he experienced that pain for us. Now, why? Why go through all this agony? Why go through all this emotional suffering? Why become a human? And just so you can empathize with us, just so we feel a little better because you were hurt too. There's a much deeper thing God is doing, a much more powerful thing God is doing that helps us even in our suffering. Uh, and here's what it is. It's Jesus experienced victory in death. You know, sometimes we're trying to avoid death in our lives, which sounds like a good thing. We don't want to physically die, certainly. Uh, we don't want to see relationships die, probably, depending on the nature of the relationship. We don't want to see certain opportunities die, but sometimes God has given us the opportunity to let things die so that he can bring them back to life. Life in God's kingdom is resurrection life. It's a life that is let go of holding on to your own life and allowing God to bring us into new life. That's why he says, unless a grain of wheat uh, falls to the ground and dies, it remains just this one little seed. But if it falls down and it dies, it becomes this tree that produces life over and over and over again. So how did Jesus do that? In Hebrews, it describes it this way. Since the children have flesh and blood, all of us, we have flesh and blood. If you have flesh and blood, this is applicable to you. He too shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. 
The devil is the tempter. You know what he tempts us with? Fear. He holds us down in fear. You better hold on to all that money because you better not be generous because you need that money for you. You might die. You better not open your heart to that person because they might hurt you and you might die. You better not help those other people who are different than you or open your heart to other nations or, or help others because you might die. And that fear is really a slavery. That's how it's described here. We're held in slavery by the fear of death. So we're holding on to things, trying to keep our life alive. alive. And what's interesting is Jesus said the very thing. If you try to hold on to your life and grip it and keep it, you'll lose it. If you give your life away to him, you'll find it. So here's how we find life. Jesus breaks this fear of death and he sets us free. God's design was Jesus coming to the earth for the primary purpose of setting you and me free, that we're not bound by fear. We're not bound by pride. We're not bound by our own sinful desires and lustful desires. We're free to experience being the very us that we were meant to be. So often we're living lives where we're being a different, or I'll say it to myself, Josh is being a different Josh than the real Josh that God intended. And when I see that, what is it? Often it's this fear. Fear grabs a hold of me. I, I, over the last six months, I've had two occasions where I really lost my temper and looking back on it, what's going on? Some sort of fear is building a pressure that gets released as anger, but it's really deep down fear. When you're set free from that fear, you're free to love, you're free to forgive, you're free to experience peace. That's God's desire for us. Now, how do we walk that out? Well, because you know what? We've made our own mistakes. We've had people hurt us. How can I walk in freedom where I'm not fearful of judgment, where I'm not fearful of pain, where I'm not fearful uh, that I'm gonna lose my eternity with God. Well, in Romans, it says it this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Conviction is you did something wrong. You realize it's wrong. So now there's hope of restitution or change or, or repentance turning back the other way, or you're, you're, you're you know, kind of making, uh, restitution is like making a payment, right? So if I did something wrong to someone, hey, let me make that right. I realize I only gave you $10 back. I was supposed to give you $100 back. That's a lot different. Let me correct that. Let me not only give you $100, well, let me take you out for lunch because I kind of held that money from you, so I feel bad. Uh, and let me make sure our relationship is restored, right? There's hope for that in Jesus. Why? Because through Jesus, the law of the spirit of who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is if you make a mistake, if you sin, you die, you're gonna produce death. There's no way around it. And so what they did in the old days is they would put that death on an animal and the animal would die the death you were supposed to die so you could be forgiven. But it just covers the one sin. And this is just gonna be repeated over and over again the rest of your life. God set you free from that entire journey. And, and I'm sure the animals are very happy about that as well. And now he set you free where what is the law of the spirit who gives life? When he convicts you, you get correction from him. You repent, you go, God, I'm turning the other way. I'm turning away from that sin and I'm turning towards you. When I do that, I receive his life. And now when I receive his life, I'm free to love again, to live again, to bring peace again, to bring hope again. So what have I said so far? I've said that Jesus understands and lived out a real human life. He became fully human, which means he can empathize with us. He can understand where you're coming from. He can see your pain. He can see your journey and he can help you in that journey. I really like that. He helps us in our weakness. In Romans, it teaches us that he helped, the spirit of God inside us helps us in our weakness, teaches us how to pray. We don't even know what to pray. And he helps us. He helps us find life. He helps us find freedom. He helps us find hope. He does that through a journey of experiencing real agony, real pain, real breakdown, real betrayal, real abandonment. 
and this thing that's very hard for me to even describe and understand, but even experiencing the feeling and the experience of being forsaken by God, God forsaken by God, left alone in his suffering. He went through all that so that by his death, he could defeat the devil. The devil that whispers things to you, tempts you to believe you're not worthy, you're worthy of Jesus's life and God giving his son. You know, when we talk about Jesus's agony, as a father, I'm reflecting on the agony of that transcendent supernatural God, what we think about the God in heaven, sort of the father and this, this majestic God. But imagine watching your son being tortured and ridiculed and mocked and eventually killed by the very people that he is dying for. And for me, it's a greater suffering in my mind to think of one of my children going through that than for me to go through that. And so the God of heaven, whether you see them as, as you know, it's hard to explain where's the father start and the son end and how are they all connected? And there's really just one God and functioning in this God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And yet they interact with each other. I see a, a deep suffering of a father to watch his son in pain. And he went through that. In Isaiah, we even learned he, it, it pleased him to see his father, his, to see his son crushed because of everything we're about to talk about right now that that's the only way that they could defeat the devil and take away the fear of death and free us from the law of sin and death and welcome us into something that was so precious to God the Father, was so precious to God the Son, was so precious to God the Holy Spirit that they were willing to risk everything on, for this victory that we could be brought to God. In 1 Peter 3, it says it this way, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's God's intention, is for his children to enjoy his presence forever. No fear of death, because it's already been paid by Jesus. There, even if you die physically, you go to be with Jesus forever. That's real life. He is life. He is the way to life. He is the truth, and he is life. And when you experience him, whether you're physically alive or you go to be with him uh, after physical death, you're experiencing life when you're connected to him because he is life and God's intention to bring you to himself, to enjoy his fellowship, to enjoy his presence and to proclaim him to the world. And that's what we wanna do right now is we take bread and we take the cup. What we're actually celebrating is Jesus' body broken so that our bodies could be made whole. Uh, Jesus talks about us, his people, his community being like the body of Christ and that his body, his physical body was broken so that we, the body of Christ, could be mended, could be made whole. We could forgive one another because he's already forgiven us. And then we take the cup to celebrate the fact that his blood was shed so we don't have to sacrifice animals or sacrifice ourselves or, or um, live in condemnation and shame and guilt forever for the mistakes we make, but rather we can receive forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus and we can offer forgiveness to others through his sacrifice. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be reminded that you know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to be betrayed. You know what it's like to be abandoned. You know the breaking point, and yet you go through the breaking point without breaking. And you continue on saying, nevertheless, not my will, but God's will be done. That's a great example for us, but in our weakness, we can't do it ourselves. And yet here you come and say, I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll fill you with my presence. I'll fill you with my love. As we take the bread, you'll fill us with healing. All of us that's broken, 
receive wholeness through your bread and through your body broken for us. And as we take the cup, we're celebrating forgiveness of our sins through your sacrifice. We take these now in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.